Hello and welcome to The View from the Ninian. I'm Scott Salter and the season's over, Cardiff City are relegated, but it's not all doom and gloom. Join us as we reminisce and reflect on the season gone by with The View from the Ninian end of season review. Enjoy. Well, joining me today for View from the Ninian's end of season review is Mr. Ben James. Hiya. And we've got Mr. Paul Grono. Good evening. How are you both? Yeah, not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. You, Paul? Living the dream, gentlemen. Living the dream. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we've had a bit of time for the dust set now and to, and to reflect on the season. But, but before we go into that, I just want a quick word on, on the United game. Heck of a way to, to end the season, wouldn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it, pff, words fail me. I was kind of there and um, I had this curse that you and I have discussed, Scott, in some detail um, regarding having never even seen us take a point away from home, let alone three. <laughs> so um, to I, I had the misfortune in some ways of, of being sat in amongst the home crowd. Um, long story behind that, I won't go into it. But So I had to literally sit on my hands and kind of bite my tongue uh, each time we scored or went forward or something happened. And um, it was an experience beholding it from the Manchester end. Just hearing their dismay and disbelief yeah, was um, something beautiful. You weren't thrown o- over the uh, the turnstiles like the United fan at the Cardiff City Stadium, I hope. Okay. Not this time. <clears throat> ben, you were there as well. And, and Warnock really gave it a go, didn't he? And it was quite pleasing to see, but there was a sense of me, and I don't know about you, just wishing that, we'd been like that in more games this season yeah I think so I think um when we were traveling up I was I I I just had this innate belief that we were going to beat them and I even put money on um Deckard Overreed to score first because I just knew we were going to get a penalty um so I was a bit dismayed when Mendes Lang stepped up to take it um but there we go it was still good fun um I thought it was interesting that Mendes Lang took it actually yeah, and I think it was interesting, and he, he took it so well. Like, you look at his technique and everything. He's clearly been been putting them away in training, and I think there was a bit of an argument, but Deckard Overy didn't seem too bothered when when it went in. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not reading too much into it. I reckon I think it, he was our fourth penalty taker of the season, wasn't he? We've had Camarasa, Rals, um, Reed, now now Lendes Mang or Mendes Lang, however you want to say, <laughs> uh, depending to Paul Merson. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I loved it. You know, I thought it was such a great day. And I think when you contrast that to the Fulham performance, we should have played like we did against Man United against Fulham because I think we were compact against United, but there was just more of an attacking edge. You know, I think we looked dangerous when we went forward. Um, while against Fulham, we kind of just tried to absorb anything. And when we went out and attack, we didn't really look dangerous. I thought Zahor played very well. Yeah. I thought he held yeah, it up he as well and, and occupied, occupied McTominay. And I think it was Lindsay. Off, who was alongside him? I thought Reed played well. I thought Murphy played well. You know, our front four was purring, as it were. So I think it was just yeah. There was a bit of a shame of what if, but also it was one of the best away days I've had this season. I think watching the United fans kind of um, you know wind their necks in throughout the course of the game was quite hilarious. And just seeing Oliver and Solskjaer have to you know walk past the fan, ba- you know our fans to see him. Um, as he kind of apologised at the end of the game was quite glorious to see. <laughs> and like you know. United are a bit in a bit of a mess, and so for many it wasn't a surprise, and, and a lot of the laughs have been going towards United. But they're still a good team, you know. There's still some, well, you know, Pogba's worth probably yeah. four times more than our our squad alone. When, so, when you 
when you look at their midfield and we had Pogba versus Bakuna and you you know you go up front they've got Rashford versus you know Morrison and Manga and you've got Lingard who was you know the darling of England's World Cup about a year ago I think with I don't think anything could be taken away from the performance we put in because we kept a clean sheet you know we scored two goals against De Gea who's won what the best player of the season three times for United you know he's a quality goalie and I think we I, I don't I, you know last day of the season not much was kind of riding on it but I think that shouldn't take anything away from what we did Absolutely, and you mentioned Bakuna there, and Paul, how impressed were you with him? And I've seen quite a few people making jokes about you know dominating Pogba and having Pogba in his back pocket, but it was probably his best game in a Cardiff shirt, wasn't it? Biggest testament to to him is that he didn't look out of place, and I wasn't dismayed or kind of um, worried at any stage during the match that he he was out of his depth. Um, you would never have known that. He cost us what three million, I think it was something like that, three yeah. four million, whatever it was. And Pogba cost, you know, whatever he's cost. You couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference on the pitch. And Warnock's kind of been seeing his praises. The jury's been out, uh, as we discussed on the way to and from Manchester last week. Uh, I wasn't convinced as to where he could play or what he could offer, but that went some way to allaying my fears. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Warnock has sounded him out a bit as, as Gunnarsson's replacement, hasn't he, Ben? But to me, I, I've said in previous pods, and I see him more as a, a box-to-box, but against United, he did play more of that, that holding role, especially when Gunnarsson yeah. went off. And he, he did the same at Brighton as well, to be fair. You know, when he came on at Brighton, he replaced Gunnarsson for about, I think it was the last half an hour when Gunnarsson went off injured. And I think, I think the best thing you can say about Bakuna is that he's very solid and very kind of, um, he plays a very simple game of football. I think there's much complication to the way he plays. If he yeah, if he needs yeah. to defend, he'll defend. If you want him to kind of spray some passes and get wide, like he did against Palace, he'll do that as well. And I think, I think, yeah, I think he's he's not going to be the direct replacement for Gunner. But I think next season when we're in the Championship and we need players who can kind of do a couple of jobs in the midfield, I, I think he's a, a really good option. Like, I actually really like Bakuna. I think he's he doesn't get enough credit he deserves really. Yeah, and one of the things I really like about him is is how athletic he is, and you know, at times our midfield can be uh, not not necessarily slow, but there's not masses of legs there, and you know, yeah. even Camarasa was was fairly quick on the ball, but wasn't a, you wouldn't class him as a pacey player. Um, Rawls, Gunnarsson, Arta, they're not. So Bakuna definitely adds a bit of athleticism into that that centre of the park. I think so as well, and I think you know, I I, I think he's got a really good pass on him as well. And I think we saw that at Southampton away. And I think we saw that at um, Palace at home when he put that cross in that, that, that Kelly put in for an own goal. I think he mm. he's just got a bit more to him than, than say, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I just think he offers a bit more than other midfield as well. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the star man on the day was, was Mendes Lang, who, who got the double. And, you know, a really great achievement for him when you consider... We signed him from Rochdale, wasn't it, on a free transfer, and to then go and score a double at Old Trafford is great. But he's finished the season really strongly, Paul, hasn't he? And um, you know, he got early, injured early on and missed a few months of the season, so it's great to see him back and, and stepping up. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's been some time since I've kind of had a winger at Cardiff that has excited me as much as he does. I've always found him to be more and a more exciting player than. Murphy, uh, certainly Hoylett. Um, he always seems to want to just go for it. 
and have the confidence to do that little step over that he does and go and that's what won us the penalty which ironically looking back perhaps wasn't even a penalty <laughs> given all the ones that we've had to go against us this year um, he caused panic amongst the defence and he's done it you know whenever he, he seems to fancy it and be up for it uh, he's a real handful and I haven't seen that since perhaps Chris Burke you know of old yeah. w- that would really push the defence onto the back foot and transition us from defence to attack pretty quickly and not be able to score at the end of it too so delighted for him can play a massive part for us and he's one of those few sort of bargain bin basements that's kind of really worked out for us along with um, Etheridge of course I just want to jump in and say about um, Mendes Lang as well he, uh, at Old Trafford there were times where he was tracking back and putting tackles in <clears throat> that were you know like he was getting back towards our penalty box and putting tackles in where other players might not have done that and I think that's something I think he's added this year as well because I think last year he was very you know forward facing and I think we always said that Hoyler was a better defense, uh, better defensive winger but I think Mendes Lang's adding that to his game I think that's really good to see and especially doing that somewhere like Man United I think it's just really heartening to see that he's kind of adding a bit more kind of um, uh, elements to his game that weren't there before. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I can't remember who it was, but I saw someone say on, on social media that it just seemed maybe about a month ago just something really clicked for him. Yeah. Uh, and since then, he's just really been, obviously, that great goal against Brighton and double now, but he's just been dangerous in a lot of games in the last couple of months. He has, and I think it was the, it was the Huddersfield game he got injured, didn't he? And he got injured yeah. where he mm. was showing his, his real danger. He was running at a defender, he took it past him and the defender just took him clean out. And I think, you know, it's another probably, I think this is a season of what ifs for Cardiff with everything that's gone on. And I wonder if Mendes Lang had um, not got injured then because he was out for, I think it was three months, wasn't he? He was out from sort of October yeah. to Christmas time. Mm-hmm. I think if, what, if he hadn't been injured and, you know, Murphy went off the boil a little bit, if Murphy had gone off the ball but we'd had Mendes Lang and would Murphy have been kept on his toes? Would Mendes Lang have come in and offered a bit more than Murphy did when he was kind of going off the boil? It's just it's just one of those things, and I think he's just come on at the end of the season, and yeah, from that Brighton goal to now, he's just been one of our best players. Yeah, and and watching the the highlights of the game back on, uh, I watched them on Sunday morning on Match of the Day, and I just kind of sat there watching it and just just thought this is quite typical of of the Premier League, and the whole section on on the United Cardiff game was just talking about how poor United were. There was mm. barely a single mention of of how good Cardiff were and. Paul, I know you wrote that article about you know what you will and won't miss about the Premier League, and those type of things will be one of the things you you won't miss, won't it? Bring on Quest. <laughs> we know you can rely on Colin. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I was I was sort of waxing lyrical to my brother and sister sisters, and my my dad saying, "Oh, guys, wait till you see this." You know, there's a passage of play particularly where Zoho sort of broke down the wing, cut it back. Yeah. And we, you know, and it was like, this is unbelievable. Look at us, we're playing like, you know, like it's like watching Brazil. But that didn't even get shown. And it was another example of um, Cardiff's kind of strengths not being fully displayed. And really, it was a dark, I mean, Manchester United had a lot of ball around our box without actually taking a shot and much to the frustration of the United supporters. But Cardiff was so, my friend sat next to me, he said to me, Cardiff is so organised, they're so disciplined. You can see Manchester United, a, a chaos at the back. Cardiff, on the other hand, are completely and utterly organised. They work as a team. And it, honestly, I mean, match of the day, as per, didn't really give a fair reflection of just how, how good a performance it was. Yeah, and, you know, it, it felt good to to put one past Solskjaer, didn't it? And mm. you know, it was good, yeah. good to reflect on, on the United game there. And, and up next, we'll be talking about the summer transfers and the first half of the season.
Well, it doesn't quite seem like a year since since Cardiff sealed promotions to the Premier League and attention turned to the, the summer transfers. And guys, I just want to get your opinion looking back and Josh Murphy, Greg Cunningham, Bobby Reid, Victor Camarasa, Alex Smithies and Harry Arter. They were our incomings in the summer and Ben, reflecting now, what are your thoughts on them and, and who kind of exceeded expectations and, and who, looking back now, are you slightly disappointed in? Uh, um, so, I mean, if we go back, I think at the time I was quite happy with our summer transfers. You know, I think we signed quite well. We signed players that Warnock liked and had been chasing for a while. I think in terms of players that exceeded expectations, I think Victor Camarasa has to be up there. Um, mm-hmm. He was kind of spotted by luck uh, or sheer chance when Warnock was watching them uh, Betis played Bournemouth in the friendly. He came in, and I think he's probably the most technically gifted footballer I've seen in in a Cardiff shirt. Really, you know, Whittingham Kumas, he's up there with them, really. Um, and we knew I nothing think... about him, did we? I mean, it was just this Spanish lad that had come in, and yeah, no one really knew anything about him. Exactly, and I think there was a few YouTube clips and that kind of thing. And it, I think you know what you see on there isn't really a fair reflection. But I think most, you know, I think. Most fans were kind of ex- not expecting the world, but you know, expecting to, you know a good cultured footballer to come in. Um, in terms of other players, well, I really like Bobby Reid. I think he just deserved more of a chance this season. Um, you know, even on on Saturday, he was kind of instrumental in the first goal by blocking off McTominay when the ball went through to um, to Murphy. I think he had a chance late on where he curled one just past the post. Mm. In terms of players who disappointed me, um, I would say Alex Smithies, just because he's not really played. Um, but I think my most, I think really, I, Harry Art has disappointed me a little bit. I think I like him because he's a good, honest footballer, but I, I just don't think he, he's contributed as much as he could. I think if you look at his, his assists column, I think he only got one assist all season. I think he, uh, at times, his, his kind of um, willingness to chase the ball down would leave us kind of a bit short in midfield. Um, and I think. I think as much as we were kind of expecting him to be the, the Premier League experience in that midfield and, and deliver a bit more than he actually did. And I just don't think he really lived up to the hype, especially in the, the second half of the season where, you know, we haven't seen him for sort of four or five games now. Yeah, Fulham have seen seen more of him than, than we exactly. have. Exactly. But yeah, I think I think you're right in a way in that I quite like Data and for the same reason as you in, in he's the heart and, and he's a you know yeah. passionate player and, and puts it as all and it was easy to get attracted and excited and and impressed by the chasing and you know single-handedly chasing down a back four and the goalkeeper, but actually looking at it in a more of a pragmatic view and actually probably left us a bit exposed because all it took was one ball over the top of him and he's totally out playing where a man down in midfield. Exactly, and I think I read an, an interview with um, Dimitar Berbatov, and this might seem like a tangent, but go with it. Um, earlier this year, and he said that he always hated the players who would chase a loose ball off the pitch knowing that they never have a hope to get it because it was all about kind of looking like you're working harder and putting in that perspective. And I do feel like sometimes with Harry Arter, that's the kind of perception you get from him. He would chase a tackle when there was no need to or, you know, run down someone who's about to clear the ball. And times it worked, like against Arsenal early in the season, like it pressing check to the point where he would take, he was given the ball on the edge of the box and he, he took a shot over and that kind of thing. And it would work at times, but there were other times where it was just like, you don't need to chase everything because you are going to leave us short in the midfield and short and exposed. And I think that's just kind of what, you know, I think he, he almost lacks a bit of, bit of um, bit, he needs to be cleverer, really. Yeah. And I think part of the problem was that so often the rest of the team was set up to absorb pressure. Yeah. You know, you look at Liverpool and Klopp sort of 
pressing and gegen pressing and that works so well because the first man goes and he's backed up yeah. by three or four pressing whereas Arta was kind of on a one-man mission at times to press everyone yeah and I think that's where the, the problems kind of came about right because if he pulls out and pulls away from the midfield there's just an, a gap there made for another player to go in there and I think that's that was the problem really and I think while his game yeah like might suit up in a team that that is set up to to for all of them to do that to all be backed up when Arta does that. But then in our team, we were so rigid at times with our formation that as soon as he left the midfield three, we were stuck. And Paul, one of those kind of big talking points. There weren't that many departures last summer of note, but Lee Tomlin and Anthony Pilkinson were both left out of the Premier League squads and and obviously left the club um, on on loan or permanent in January, but. Looking back, do you think either of those would have made a difference if they were included? Taking the emotion aside, no. Um, earlier on the season, I probably would have vouched for Pilkington because he's the ultimate utility guy. Um, again, full of endeavour, skillful, can use both feet, can cross and shoot, as we saw many times. Um, but looking at it objectively, I don't think he probably would have, either of them would have offered an upgrade on what we ended up with. I think um, the signings that we made in uh, August were indicative of the mindset of the club at the time, which was, do you remember this whole we're just happy to be here thing that that seemed to be so common at the beginning of the season, even, you know, sort of publicly said, you know, Warnock was, I'm just going to enjoy it. I mean, look at these stadiums we're going to and so on. And a lot of people went along with that. and, And it took a long time for us to shrug that mindset off and think, actually, no, maybe even up until the Fulham win, we deserve to be here. I know we gave Arsenal a really good game at home and probably one of my favourite matches of the season, really. We all kind of left disappointed that we hadn't taken a draw, which was almost unthinkable before we kicked off. But th- those those signings were very much done with a, with an eye to this coming season, i.e. we're probably going to get relegated. Let's prepare for that. And, and then come January, the mindset had changed to, actually, we do have a decent shot of staying up here. Hence... Yeah. Um, a different type of, uh, you know, the Salah thing that they went for, in, you know, the sort of the guarantee 10 goals, as Warnock would call it, type thing. But those, I mean, Murphy, I found immensely frustrating because I was really excited when he came in and, uh, and could see what he could offer, but felt that it wasn't, we didn't see enough of it. And, you know, in flashes and bursts, I guess that can often be the case with a, with a winger, but he was probably the one that I was had the most expectation on, whereas Bobby Reid has really kind of blown, blown me away. I, I can't wait to see what he can offer us this season, given the quality he's already shown when when he's been allowed to play. I think he was just... I don't know whether Warnock signed him and then when he signed Camarasa, realised he couldn't play the two together and perhaps had Bobby Reid in mind as his number 10 and dropped that idea when he saw just how good Victor was. I, I don't know... It, it was unfortunate, really, that he never got a really good runner at because I think he really does offer something that none of our other players offer. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're probably right in that the plan was probably always to play Reed as a 10, probably similar system to what we saw against against United. But, mm. you know, like Ben said, Camarasa came in as a, you know, just happened to stumble upon him and his quality w- w- was pretty evident. And Bobby Reed unfortunately, missed out a lot because of that. Um but you know, hopefully we can keep him next year. And I'm sure he'll be be a, a really key player next year. I was year. expecting Cunningham to offer more um, in terms of a challenge to Bennett, um, yeah. and it, it wasn't forthcoming because we'd heard a lot, Cunningham for me was like the 
like Patterson up, up in Scotland, we'd, I'd heard all these wonderful things and they turned out to be true with Patters. But with Cunningham, I feel like we haven't really seen the full bag of tricks yet. Well, it looked, it, you know, the first couple of months of the season, Warnock seemed to rotate them a fair bit, didn't it? And it looked like Bennett might face a good challenge. But I mean, I think a few of us fans, the majority probably always thought Bennett was the better left back. But mm. for the first few months, Cunningham got his chance and he didn't, do too great did he there's a couple of games one against Leicester I think in that that 1-0 win where he did quite well um, but we've not really seen him much since then really mm. yeah I think he he did quite well at Everton away where he actually got forward and we should have had a penalty from one of his attacks but I just think in in the best possible way about Cunningham is that he's just not really a he's not an exciting player is he he's very solid very steady and I think you know when you compare him to Bennett, I don't think, you know, Bennett isn't probably much better, but Bennett gets forward a bit more and gets kind of supports the wing, wingers a bit more. And I think Cunningham didn't do that at the start of the season. I think people kind of turned against him slightly because he was, um, I think he was responsible for maybe a, an error against Burnley. I want to say he was responsible for something against Burnley, but I, I might be I think wrong. you're right, Ben. I think yeah. so, mate. I'll yeah. take your word for it. He, he, I think he was involved in one of their goals where he gave the ball away. And actually at Everton, he... I said he was he was quite good, but he did give the ball away for their goal as well. So I think he was just a bit more error prone than Bennett was in the end, really. And I think, but you know, Bennett had a great season towards the end. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of surprised myself when I was I was looking back at you know the results in the first half fixture, and I'd almost forgotten that we'd you know went August and September you know without a win, and mm-hmm. those first three games we we picked up two points against Newcastle and, and Huddersfield, but. We were really, you know, finding our feet, weren't we? And, you know, against Bournemouth especially, it it seemed like we were over, you know, overawed and, and too much respect for for them and for the occasion a bit. Yeah, and I think uh, I always kind of see the first game of the season, especially when you're going into a new league, as a bit of a write-off. Um, so I wasn't expecting anything from that first of the season. We know Bournemouth were a good side; it was at their ground. It was just kind of like, well. Well, if we lose this, fine. But then I think what you mentioned the two games that followed: Cardiff City, Newcastle, and then you know the nil-nil against Newcastle. Sorry, and the nil-nil against Huddersfield, both against ten men. And it was just you know the Newcastle game we almost lost, lest we forget that last-minute penalty yeah. that Morrison gave away. And mm-hmm. against Huddersfield, we had we had chances that we just didn't put away. Um, and I think it was just frustrating, really, that we were. I think we spent the first half of the season. I know, I know we come come back to it, being overawed and just being a very naive. Um, about what we were doing, and I think the Arsenal game showed that we we were better than that. And it, but you know we just didn't get those wins. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about that Arsenal game, and really we could have done with a kind of sort of fixture list, wasn't it, Paul? That that game kind of felt like we've kind of arrived here at, at the Premier League. We've shown that we can compete, and then we had to go to Chelsea, and then face Man City, and obviously had Burnley, and then we faced Spurs, and so it actually turned out. We didn't get our first win until until October, yeah. which now seems crazy because in my head we've been competitive all all season. Um, but to not get but our the first Arsenal win, game, we were in it, you know, yeah. like we all saw, and we were all kind of really excited by the fact that we're kind of thinking, are Arsenal that bad, or actually are we that good? And maybe it was a mixture, bit of both. But um, we really gave it to them, and it took two, you know, borderline world class strikers to finish us off. Yeah. yeah, I think that was and... one of the first games. It was it made me realise the quality of you. You give them one chance and they all score. Yes, yeah, exactly. But if you, if you remember, and I think Ben was there too. Chelsea away, we it was 
it was 2-1 up to about the 80th minute. So yeah. uh, we weren't completely dead and buried until that silly penalty from Bamba. So no, and that I, killed the game and then William finished us off with a touch of class, you know. And even even at Chelsea away we were we were 1-0 for 40 minutes and only Hazard, when Hazard decided to show up did they kind yeah. of kick into gear. And I think even the second goal kind of was it was a shot that was deflected that bounced off someone and went through Etheridge. You know, it, it, at that point, it was kind of like, well, these are going to be the small margins, aren't they? That's going to be the difference this season because absolutely, Bamber had scored. We looked in, you know, relatively in control. Hazard turned it on, and all of a sudden, it's two one with a with a bit of luck. And I think it was just, you know, infuriating. Yeah, and that first win, the the four two against Fulham, it was a great moment, wasn't it? It was just one of those really memorable games in the first victory back at, at the Premier League it yeah. felt like a long time coming like I said wait until October and it felt nice to beat Fulham as well oh yeah it felt really good I think that was the kind of I think that's when the shackles came off a little bit and we kind of you know we, I, I think we knew that Fulham were shaky in defence I think they changed every you know they would had a different kind of back four or five every game up until that point yeah um, I think Josh Murphy was getting at the wing backs he got a Callum Chambers and kind of um, got him booked early on. I think it was just, you know, we, I think it's bizarre really to think that it, it, it took until mid-October to get our first win and in that win we scored four goals um, and we played really nice football. We kind of kept Fulham at bay who had quite a good attacking talent on the pitch in terms of Mitrovic and Sessignon and, and people like that and I think, it, yeah, it was very satisfying to, to kind of Fulham who had been so sure that they were going to kind of walk Alts their way into mid-table, came to, to Cardiff City, and that's kind of probably when it all started really falling apart for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and there was a few, there was some great moments in that, and Kadeem Harris obviously scored coming off the bench, and yeah. he was kind of a, a forgotten man at, at that point, I felt, and suddenly, you know, he kind of reminded people of, of the quality he could have, and he's similar to Mendes Lang, I think, in that he's so direct. Um, yeah. And I think he's done quite well this season, but, you know, injuries and, and maybe not, being in favour so much has has gone against him. Well, I think I think with Harris it was it was a bit of a shame really because the the Fulham game he put in a really good performance when he came on, kind of got down the line, got a goal against Brighton. I think he he, he hit the bar, didn't he, with an absolute like a, a cut in from the right, and he, he hit it with his left, and it hit the bar. And he bar. set a Patson's he was instrumental. Goal, didn't he? He set, yeah, he set a Patson's goal, and then it was it was the Everton game where we went away, which was. the following game after the Brighton game where he started but he just didn't get into the game really and it was and it wasn't his fault it was the way we were set up we were set up so defensively against Everton away that he just wasn't really on the ball at all and I think he never really recovered from that moment I think he has had a, a few injuries and Mendes Lang's resurgence and Murphy kind of coming in out of the team has, has affected him really but yeah I, you know I've, Kadeem Harris has been at the club since what 2012 so he's, he's seven years at the club and he's never really had a look in I think there were moments this season where we really realise we actually have a bit of a talent on our hands despite him not being involved previously yeah definitely and Paul we mentioned that that win against Brighton and then you know the second win in, in November came against Wolves and that was a great game and Junior Hoyle obviously scored that that brilliant goal and he'd had a, a topsy-turvy season hadn't he and, and struggled a bit to adjust to the pace in the Premier League but that kind of felt like a reminder of his qualities didn't it yeah, I mean, it was all the sweeter because of the last time we'd played Wolves at home. Of course, we had that, what felt like a catastrophic ending with the yes. two missed penalties. And the only way I could describe it at the time was, I said, this feels like Blackpool all over again. And it, it had that feeling about it of, for me, you know, obviously being completely melodramatic as per, but 
you know, this is it now, you know, we've thrown it away and blah, blah, blah. But so to get that win against them um, at home was so, so sweet. And uh, yeah, Hoyle, that was the game that Hoyle arrived and maybe he he then realised, look, I've been here before. I do have the quality. I do have the skills and the, and the experience to compete at this level. And, and and I belong. I'm not some imposter that's kind of been found out. I, actually, um, I've been, you know, because we forget he he's plied his trade at that level before. So it's not like he's some novice that doesn't really know what he's doing. He's a, he's an international and he's a goal scorer. And yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it was goal of the month, but it was certainly nominated, I think, and, and, and rightly so. So we've got a lovely little rivalry going with Wolves. It seems a bit more even-tempered than, than others like Fulham. But yeah, that was, for me, maybe one of the sweetest wins of the season. It exercised a few demons for me and a few others, I think. And of course, that was the last time we saw Aaron Gunnison scoring in a, in a Cardiff shirt. And Ben, it, it, it was a proper typical Aaron Gunnison goal, wasn't it? Just causing trouble in the box, a little mid-air half volley into the net and typical Gunner. Yeah, I think it was, was a reminiscent of the goal against Nottingham Forest last mm-hmm. season. Yeah. came at uh, another pivotal point. I think, yeah, I wrote about it in the season review um, uh, for midfielders. He, he started by kind of bumping off Rui Patricio um, kind of ran out a little bit to make sure he was on the side and then just stuck around on the edge of the six-yard box. And when it came to him, he was, you know, it's a nice bit of skill, really, to scissor kick it into the box away from two defenders who were in front of him. Um, and it kind of, it kick-started us on, on, on the comeback that day. And I think, I think that's what we're going to miss about Gunnison. And, you know, he's on his way out. And I think he's just got, it was the same against Fulham. On, on, I can't remember which goal it was, but he kind of took the ball on from the halfway line, saw a kind of, couple of yards of space and, and just ran through it. And it was yeah. yeah, it's that kind of determination that I think he, he's kind of as he's got a little bit older and I think as injuries have taken their toll on him, I think there's no doubt that he's kind of more injury prone now than he than he has been a couple of seasons ago. Um that's kind of gone out of his game a little bit and it's a shame really because when it works, when he does it, it, it usually gets results. Like Nottingham Forest last year, Wolves this year and and the Fulham game. He just he has those driving kind of, you know, tenacious moments, and it, it usually pays off. Yeah, absolutely, and and that set us up quite nice going into into December, and you know, the Christmas period. It it was a tough month, and we had six games. But we picked up some some good wins, and the first win was was against Southampton, which I we, we were the better team, I think, in that game, weren't we? It was Hassan Huzel's yeah. first first game for for them, and. Patterson kind of pounced on on an error and scored a real, well, typical Patterson goal, wasn't it? T- really, and and that was a really important win, Paul. Massive, yeah. At the time, it felt. I think we jumped up the table a little bit, type thing, and we had a maybe p- perhaps two point buffer or something, you know, incredible from the relegation zone. Um, and I I was expecting them to have that new manager bounce um, and kind of see us off, but. Yeah, we definitely deserved to win that game. It was a scrappy winner, absolutely. No, yeah. you know, no shadow of a doubt about it. But Patterson did what he does best. You know, he harried and, and hustled, and he's the ultimate hustler, isn't he, Patterson? You know, whether it's yeah. kind of battling in the air or in the box, and 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 I don't know whether he scuffed it or whether he placed it. I don't know still to this day. But yeah, we definitely deserved to win, and it was a welcome. It was a wake up call for 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 the new manager there too. So at that stage, I felt. Yeah, we're we're really going here, and you know my my mindset probably had changed by December, um, without realizing what was to come, obviously. But that we could really give this a really good go, rather than thinking we're probably going to be relegated in February. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that new manager bounce, and we probably faced them at a, a good time, really, because after that that loss to us, Southampton went on a brilliant run of form. I think it was like mm. some, something like eight or ten games, you know, without a loss, and that kind of gave them a bit of a, a buffer at one point. But after that, we obviously went to Watford, and then you know, mm. welcome Manchester City, uh, Manchester United, sorry, and Solskjaer's first game, and those two games were. Looking back, I think they were one of our worst performances here, particularly Watford. I know it ended 3-2 and, and that looks better on, on the scoreline, but apart from that late surge, we were really bad that game. Yeah, we were woeful. Um, it's bizarre, really, how our, our performances have kind of veered between, you know, bordering on the, the really good to bordering on the looks like 11 players who've never ever played a game of football together. Um, <laughs> the Watford game was very much like that. We were completely at sixes and sevens. Um, I don't know how we scored two goals at the end, but apparently we should probably should have come back and drawn that game from the people I know who were at the game and the highlights I saw. It's just, we, we've, you know, if we'd, if we beat Southampton, and I think, you know, we played West Ham just before Southampton, and even in the West Ham game, we've had a good first half where we looked like we were containing them. Joe Riles missed the penalty, and it all went to, went to pot, basically. And I think, it just shows the inconsistencies that have happened over the season. Those three games there encapsulate it, really, that we you know, fell apart against West Ham, clawed it back against Southampton and looked like we were going to clear away from the relegation zone and then fell apart again a week later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we went to, we ended December pretty well and, you know, a nil-nil draw away to Palace was a really good result, actually. And I think if we'd stayed up, it was those type of results we probably would have looked back on and thought that was a really important point. Yeah. You know, away to, away to Palace, and but the next game uh, on the 29th of December was was against Leicester, and probably one of the the most memorable Carlo City top flight victories, and you know I'm sure for those that were there, one of the best away days, and that late Victor Camarasa goal that will you know go down in card of history, I think, as one of the best best goals we we scored, and it was a beauty, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean to have. The composure to do that after 94 minutes is just is testament to the bloke, really. I think he, you know the, when you watch the goal back and you see that he he takes the pass into his feet, he just rolls his foot delicately over it, looks up and spots the angle, and just the the curl and the dip he put on it just took it out of Schmeichel's reach. And I think, I mean, at that point, if if anyone else had scored that goal, if if someone at United, you know, Paul Pogba had scored that goal, you'd never hear the end. Yeah, but I think Camaras scoring it—it was just. I mean, I, I get lost for words thinking about it because it was just in that moment. It was it was the, the perfect goal, and I think to, to, if it had been a scrappy goal where he tapped it in from two yards, like Bamba did against Brighton when we beat them, great. But, but to have that extra bit of class to it was just—it was the icing on the cake. And obviously, just as important to that, Paul, we spoke about this yesterday. I think it was 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 Etheridge's penalty save from from James Madison. But then Sol Bamba's follow-up tackle that just to to take it away from I can't remember who it who it was that was following up was just it was ridiculous. Yeah, those long legs come in useful again, don't they? And <laughs> I, I think he was lying on the halfway line when he tackled him. I mean, it was ridiculous. He was like Inspector Cluedo the way his legs just extended somehow miraculously just to poke that ball away um, and keep us in the match. Uh, that tackle was as good as the save, really, and. Uh, on those moments, you kind of think this is what our season's hinging on, really. Um, you know, it's actually going our way for once. And uh, all right, it wasn't to be, but that—I I mean, 
I think we lost to Leicester at home, didn't we? One 0 reverse scoreline type thing after yeah. the heli- the disaster, yeah. the helicopter crash, so on. So, um, yeah, it, it it was a massive, massive win, and I mean, Camaras has never looked so handsome, has he? And I mean, I've met him in the flesh, and trust me, he really is that handsome. <laughs> the cracking looking boy. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, I think we'll we'll take a short break, and after. In part three, we'll be talking about the January transfer window and the second half of the season. So join us then. So heading into the new year, Cardiff City was sat outside of the relegation zone in 17th place, 14 points from 18 games. And we went into the January transfer window targeting a right back and a striker as a priority. And... Then Nathaniel Klein seemed to be coming in on loan, but obviously he messed us messed us about and went to Bournemouth last minute. And then obviously the the Miliano Salah was was the main target. And on the nineteenth of January, Ben he he signed for us the third highest scorer in League One and a club record fee. We think around fifteen million. And and before we talk about obviously what happened, that was a great great signing, wasn't it? A great great coup. And you know, the third highest scorer in League One to come to Cardiff was insane. Yeah, I think um, we signed him the, the same day that we lost to Newcastle up at uh, St. James's Park. Um, Which was an we awful were, performance. Well, yeah, it was a terrible performance. I think Nias made his debut and looked okay, but he'd only signed like the day before, so he hadn't really had any training with the club, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we, we, went to the, we were up in Newcastle, we finished the game, obviously went to the pub and kind of were buzzing that he'd signed that evening. Because I think, yeah, when the... Um, is it wrong to call it? A transfer saga at the start, um, kind of, it did seem to become that way, didn't it? Because we, at one point we were signing him, then he wasn't coming. Then it was too much money. Then we'd agreed a fee, but then yeah. they wanted more money. The fee didn't happen. And I think to get it over the line was testament to to the club, really, that they recognised that we needed to sign a striker. That we we got a striker who probably we were batting above our average to get. He was probably um, worthy of a bigger club than us. Um, not to be too disrespectful to Cardiff. Um, and I think, yeah, when we signed him, it just felt like the, the momentum might have shifted at that point because we got the player we needed. Absolutely. And I think that obviously we'll never know what what would have happened. But but like you said, the club went out and, and identified that, that that was the problem area. We need to spend money here. And, and Paul touched on it earlier on of, you know, in the summer, we'd perhaps viewed ourselves as still a championship team. But how the side had done up until Christmas really, you know, showed Tan and the board, you know, we can stay in this league, you know, go and sign us a goal scorer and we can stay in this league. Um, obviously, you know, 21st of January, the, the plane went missing and and Paul talked to us about, about that that moment and it was it was surreal in a sense, it was scary and, and I know you, you were at the airport when he was he was meant to be landing, am I right? That's right, yeah. I work at the airport, so the the buzz amongst all the staff kind of up there was that, you know, this the flight was due in and um, this was supposed to be the, the sort of the, the return to, you know, for him to stay. Uh, at that stage, I then went home and thought no, nothing else of it. If you remember the couple of days before when he'd kind of popped over for a chat and been caught on Sky Sports News cameras and so on. Um, I ch- chased him around the airport trying to get photos and I'd been here, there and everyone just missed him. And so I went home, thought nothing of it. And then, of course, woke up in the morning and someone had texted me saying, probably nothing but, 
um, the a plane has gone missing, and of course, you at that stage you think, you know, oh please no. And then of course I went straight to work, and it was confirmed there that he the plane had never arrived. And then it was a case of where on earth is he? And it was just we all found it hard to put into words or to even, you know, is it even right to, to, to put this down in words? And none of us really knew how to respond to it. I mean, Ben wrote a moving piece on it um, straight from the heart. I wrote a little personal kind of diary entry in my blog and it was just our own individual ways of, of processing what was going on. And I, I don't even think, I mean, even now when I walk to work and I see these little Piper aircraft taking off and landing, I think, I think of him and, um, I, I never, I'll probably never stop. Every time I see the airport and those those aircraft, I'll associate that with him and just a, this immense feeling of, of of sorrow and sadness over, you know, what was two lives lost. Um, I mean, the football for a long time became secondary. I mean, there was a lot yeah. of it doesn't even matter anymore, so to speak, and and to an extent, it doesn't really, if we're honest. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Um, but that really did put a lot of things into perspective for me. And Ben, obviously, the, it was on the fourth of Feb that, um, that that they said that they found a body, and obviously later confirmed to be Emiliano. And obviously, in that time, life kind of had to go on, and, and football had to go on, and you know, kind of still had to adhere to the rules at the end of the transfer window. We played Arsenal on the the twenty ninth, and, yeah. and Bournemouth on the second, and. I, I mean, as fans, it had a, a great impact of, like Paul said, of sorrow and sadness, and it was scary. But I can't imagine what it must have been like for the club and, and the players, even though they'd only met him once or twice. Yeah, I think I think the Arsenal game was um, obviously it was the first game after you know it all happened, and I think we we went to the game and there was kind of the yellow um, uh, cards on every every seat, and everyone held them up and that kind of thing. But I think it wasn't into you know kind of the first whistle goes and you kind of forget what's going on really you're watching a football mm. match and in that moment it's kind of like well nothing's nothing's wrong everyone you know there's 11 players out there playing football but it was kind of after the game where it really hit really that you know, Lucas Torreira from Arsenal came over and started applauding our fans and Aaron Ramsey came across and then at the end of the game all the players came across and you could just see that there was they were shell-shocked really I think it's it's the most unprecedented thing I've ever heard of in football and I think we always frame it within football, but at the bottom of it and at the the root of it all is is Emiliano Salar and the pilot Dave Ibbotson. And I think it's just such a tragic story that there's absolutely no way that the players couldn't have been affected by it. And I think that it was the the most telling image was Warnock at the end of the game. He kind of stood in, in the middle of the pitch, looking across at the fans, and he didn't really applaud. He just kind of watched on, and he, you could see. That it, just it looked, there was a kind of a look in his eye that was kind of, and at that point, I did think, I wonder if he'll carry on because he just looks completely broken by it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of the time you heard him spoke, he just just seemed completely broken and completely understandably, obviously. And for me, one of the things that struck me from from a footballing point of view was, and a, a lot of fans of other clubs on you know social media and stuff were a bit critical, not critical, but made statements of you know you never even saw him play and stuff like that, but. In putting into context of you know Cardiff were the complete underdogs in in the Premier League and no one fancied us and you know Emiliano Salah the like we said the third highest scorer in Liga 1 in France and he believed in in our project and there was that that quote that he said of you know I know it'll be tough but 
but together we can do it, that type yeah. of thing. And it was just that that feeling that he wanted to be a Cardiff City player, he wanted to be be one of us, and, and that, that really struck as much as, as everything else. Yeah, and I think, you know, what, what I'll always say about other football fans is they seem to have a better grasp of things that are going on at your club than you actually do. So yeah. I don't really... I take everything that they say with a pinch of salt. And I think it, it wasn't just a player who'd come in and signed for us on that day. You know, I think the the whole kind of... I, 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 I hesitate to say the word chase, but the transfer process started in mid-December. We'd started hearing about him just before Christmas. And from that moment on, you're kind of... You're, you're invested in that player because... Yeah. Signs, if he doesn't sign, you're, you're reading about who he is. You're, you're looking at his history. You're... Um, you're checking his Wikipedia page to see where he's been before. You're watching YouTube videos of him and his highlights, and you're kind of you start kind of investing in that player from that moment. So by the time he'd signed, that was probably a month's worth of emotional investment in the player already because you want him to sign for you. So he was our player. He was a Cardiff City player. So he'd signed the contract, and to every fan who'd spent that month looking at who he was he was a Cardiff City player you can be emotionally invested in someone you've never met before and and that's what happened yeah absolutely and and also on the the 2nd of Feb and and that home game the first home game since since he'd gone missing and at that point there's there's still no um, discovery of of the body we beat beat Bournemouth 2-0 at the Cardiff City Stadium and it it was a real emotional day, and uh, but the players completely stood up and and beat a very good Bournemouth team. To you know, with, with Bobby Reid grabbing two goals, and for me, I don't know about you, Paul, that's one of the games that I remember the most this season. Oh yeah, um, the performance on the pitch was, you know, extraordinary. I think the game before had been a nil-nil drab draw with Huddersfield, potentially at home. Disappointing. Um, uh, so to see them perform that way in the circumstances was extraordinary. The, 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 I think it was a live televised match, BT Sport or something like that, I think. Um, so the eyes of the world were upon us. And of course, the the Canton stand kind of drove the Salah chant, which had this kind of, I can't quite put it into words, but it was it was visceral, the impact of it on the, the, on the, on the crowd and on the players. Gunnison was, you know, in, on the verge of tears. Warnock was, was, you know, had sort of broken down as he was walking off the pitch in tears. Um, I think, I guess, it was a mixture of everything, really. Um, but yeah, that you're right. For lots of reasons, that will live long in the memory. Yeah, absolutely. And and the next game after that, we obviously went to Southampton and and up there with Leicester in terms of you know one of the the best goals uh, games of the season, away games and. You know, the limbs, as they say, were, were crazy. And and Ken Zahor obviously got grabbed that late goal and, and muttered that that he was back, um, whether whether he was or not. I yeah, that's up for debate. But it was one of those those great games. Yeah, it was. I think what I, you know, we scored sort of Bamba scored in sort of the late seventy minutes. They went equalised on ninety minutes, and I think. When they equalised, I, I like many fans, probably just assumed that it was kind of game over. Um, one all was going to be the result. So taking that to start the game, fine, but disappointing to not get the win. And then just to kind of, it kind of summed up a walk outside, really, didn't it? We kind of kept pushing, kept pressing. Um, we we went at the other end and the goal was a bit of a mismatch. I think there was a miscued cross. Patterson put a header across. Camarasa kind of 
took a really deft touch and laid it off to Zahor, who toe-poked it into the corner. And I think it was just uh, such a, a relief at that point, because I think Southampton had been in good form. They were kind of threatening to pull away from the relegation zone, and, and Zahor's goal, and he said he was back, and uh, I guess I'm like, you Scott, I think I need a bit more evidence of that. But um, it kind of it, it pulled Southampton back in and gave us a, a, a fresh impetus to push on. And what was perhaps the most impressive about that win was was we were leading and Southampton equalised really late on, didn't they? And, and that was such a sucker punch to then go up at the other end practically and, and win the game, showed, showed the squad's character really. Yeah, and I think it was at that point, it was kind of, well, maybe there's more to this than, than, we, than we're going to see. And I think I, I probably took that. Enough. A bit of a turning point that I thought we were going to push on from there and, and get the results because it was. It just showed us digging in, finding that grit, finding that little bit extra and... And it was like the never say die attitude, really, that we all wanted to see. And I think, you know, Zahor coming back, it was it was kind of a mixture of things, wasn't it? It was it was Bakuna's first game, I think, after signing, or one of his first games after signing, and he looked good when he came on. Zahor yeah. scored, and we all thought, right, maybe maybe in in the wake of what's happened, we now have Zahor coming back in and going, I can be the striker who can offer the fans the the hope they need, and alongside Naya and it kind of gave us all a bit of a boost that, that we needed after coming off such a horrible time. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, like Ben said, that that gave us the boost. And I think at that point, a lot of Cardiff fans started to really believe even more that, that we could could stay up. But then it was a pretty pretty poor run of form we went on. Just the one win in the next eight games, a 2-0 win against West Ham United, and took us into April and, and a trip to Burnley, um, to Brighton, sorry, the team team in the relegation scrap with us that we really needed to win and and the, the boys pulled off the job didn't they a great 2-0 win away at Brighton who looked really poor and you know it looked like it was in our hands then taking this trip down memory lane has kind of really served to heighten the the, the, the sheer volume of false dawns that we experienced this season you know how yeah. many times have we said in this podcast kind of and we all thought that was going to be the catalyst or we thought yeah. we were going to push on and it, it never happened we were so inconsistent one back-to-back win I think all season and um, yeah there was a couple of performance, performances in there that were really disappointing weren't there uh, Watford at home um, we, again we were in it and we should have had a penalty of course and that could have changed it but we capitulated um, Everton at home I think was it where we got again three or four wherever it was we got destroyed and so that Brighton win, I think looking at it objectively, we were rather than Cardiff being re- resurgent, we were relying on Brighton capitulating um, to survive, and uh, and of course that wasn't the case. The Brighton win was a big win, but again we didn't we we failed to make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. But then the, it felt like the momentum was swinging our way and. But you know the last team you want to go and face after after that win is is probably Liverpool, isn't it? So yeah, two 0 lost there, and which took us to Fulham needing to win, um, and it was probably the most disappointing for me anyway, the most disappointing performance of the season, a one 0 loss. Don't make me relive it. Um, <laughs> what I want to say, I think I, I I'm loath to criticise Warnock really about the, the the Fulham performance because I think. He tried to set up like we did against Brighton, and I think the idea was to kind of absorb the pressure, kind of get, catch him on the break like we did against Brighton and get a, a, an early-ish goal, and then kind of see out the game from there, really. Because, like, you know, as much as Fulham were, were quite good against 
this at Craven Cottage. Um, they only had one chance really from Barbel, which was an absolute worldie. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we should have had a penalty. We should have had two penalties. There were there were fouls on Morrison in the box. And I think, on an, you know, as much as he got the tactics wrong and we didn't attack enough until the, the, the final 10 minutes, I do think that the, the way he went about it, because it was such a, a pivotal moment in the season that if we'd lost that game by opening ourselves up too much, he would have been criticised for doing that. Um, but by playing the way he did, he tried to set, up, set us up like we did against Brighton and it just didn't pay off. And I think... Yes, he admitted afterwards he got the team selection wrong, which was big of him to do. And I think we, as much as he got the team selection wrong, I don't know how we didn't score in that last 10 minutes. I think Hoyler hit in the bar. Their keeper made three or four saves. There was the, the final action of the game was when that cross came floating into the box and Morrison was completely free and he just headed it lightly into the goalkeeper's arms. And I think that was all. It was just such a disappointing afternoon and... It just pains me that that's probably the result that put us down, really, because I hate Fulham. And <laughs> Ryan, Barbell, you know, Ryan Barbell's goal was was world class, and I, I've never seen him do anything like that before. Yet he <laughs> pull it out of his ass against us. It's just so annoying. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that took us then into Crystal Palace, and and mathematically that could send us down, and it did. But it kind of felt like we were we were already down after that. It was a big ask, wasn't it? We were relying on on Brighton and you know a three two loss against against Paris sealed sealed the deal. But it didn't feel that negative, did it? And there was a lot of respect and appreciation for the team after the final whistle and the fans were singing, you know, in favour of Warnock. And that's quite unique for for a relegated club, Paul. Yeah, um, I didn't see it coming. Uh... There certainly wasn't going to be a repeat of the the ill feeling that we had the previous time we'd been promoted for obvious reasons. Um, and the bond with Warnock is strong. Uh, I do feel that perhaps some fans who would have got caught up in the moment and chanted for Warnock, maybe in the cold light of day, perhaps don't feel quite as strongly that way and are a bit more concerned about the future going forward, given that he's only around for another year. But... I did tweet about it at the time, you know, some clubs are relegated and the the, the fan base is divided. They they have a serious dislike of the owners. Um, some of the clubs that were mocking us have never even been in the Premier League to be relegated. And whereas there seemed to be unity both on and off the pitch, which was uh, a, a breath of fresh air given the circumstances. When you think about how big and important a relegation base it's all a little bit strange, really. All a bit surreal, I guess. Just how kind of positive the whole thing, the whole atmosphere was. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it it feels forever away already that that game, and you know, yeah. already looking forward to to next next season. And you know, that win against Man United, which we talked about at the the start of the podcast, was was kind of a celebration party, wasn't it? Ready to see off that season and, and get ready for the championship. Yeah, it was a cracking atmosphere in the away end. Um, you know, I think there was people in fancy dress. There were people taking their tops off. It was a really bright, sunny day, and I think everyone was kind of enjoy- everyone it was, it was everyone was able to enjoy the game because we won. Enjoy the title race that was going on elsewhere, and knowing that we we play like that next season, there's not going to be any championship teams that can touch us really because we've got attacking talent, we've got a solid defence, and we've got a, a manager who's going. to get the best out of them um and it's interesting you to say about the, the kind of positive atmosphere after after getting relegated i think i, I and this is a shame with self-plug but i did a, a football uh show for channel four this week um it's going to be on i think uh, towards the end of next week um 
on it's called the late tackle. And I sat there and it was kind of Arsenal fans, Chelsea fans, Man United fans, all talking about how terrible the season had been. And I was kind of when they got to talking about the relegated clubs, they're like, How's this season been? And I was like, it's it's bizarre that I'm sat here with the biggest smile on my face about the season we've just had when there's so many people here who are so miserable about being part of a successful football club. And I think mm-hmm. I think the fans and Cardiff fans this season have been a credit, really. I think uh, with everything that's happened over the past few years of the club in terms of the Red Kit, Tan, Warnock, Slade, Trollope, Solskjaer, all that kind of stuff, we it does feel like the club is it's not fully united again. I don't think it ever will be after the Red Kit, but it's, it's on, on the right path again. And I think the Crystal Palace game where everyone kind of applauded at the end and chatted for Warnock and the Man United game, I think it showed that really, that despite the relegation, we're, we're kind of back as a football club where, where we need to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best, the best it's been in a number of years. And well, it's great to, to review the season with you. And coming up next, we answer the listeners' questions. Well, Paul Gronos had to shoot off, but I've still got Ben James with me, and we're going to go through some of your listener questions. So, Ben, the first question uh, we've got from the Football History Boys, uh, lovely guys we met at the Football Blogging Awards last week. Which mm-hmm. game are you most frustrated about not getting the three points in that could have kept us up? I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of answers to this. There's the game against Huddersfield away early in the season, where we they went down to 10 men, and Morris missed the sitter, and we just didn't get the result we should have got at, at Huddersfield because they are terrible. Yeah. Um, I think the Fulham game where we were 1-0 down, you know, the Ryan Barbell game where he scored and, and put us down. But I yeah. think the Chelsea game really is probably the most frustrating because we actually didn't really talk about it too much in the season review. But, I mean, that typified some of the, the refereeing that went against us this year. I mean, I don't know how that linesman could not see that Aspel Equator was three or four yards offside when that... that when he scored his header. And I think, you know, at 1-0, they, yeah, they, they looked good, but they just didn't look like scoring. And then that, that just killed us off, really, that, that offside decision. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, there's a lot of, of things that, you know, are factors to why we went down. But, you know, looking at the Premier League table, and would that have made a, a difference if we had the decision gone our way and we had held out? Absolutely. Those three points would have, would have kept yeah. us up. So yeah, I think I think you're right, and I agree. It's it, it's that game as much as the Fulham one is the one that you look at and think, oh, you know, we should have won that one um, if we'd had a go. I agree with that. And I th- yeah, and I think the, the the thing about the Chelsea game as well, and this is what I think everyone kind of misses about the the decision was that it did it, it took it, it was a sucker punch, and I think it just blew it took the wind out of our sails. And I think when when Aspel Equator scored and the referee, you know, I, I think Warnock said it in the post match interview that we've been practicing clearing out the defence all week up until that game. And they did exactly what they'd been practising to do. But if the referee and the linesman aren't going to spot the obvious of sides, then what's the point? And I think that was kind of that typified the, the feeling after that game, really, that we can only do so much. And if the referees can't do their job, then what's the point in even trying? Yeah, agreed. And, and the next question, I think I might know your answer to this one. This comes from Josh Watson. Harsh question, but who is Cardiff City's most overrated player? <sighs> I mean, he's gone now, hasn't he? But I would, I would say Harry Arson, really. Yeah, I thought you um, would say that. Just because I think... I, I, and this is the thing, I don't dislike him. I like him. I think he's a very honest footballer. But I think there's, there's a lot of love for him from, from the Cardiff fans because he's a very Cardiff City footballer. And I, I wrote this. I think he's 
a very Kansas City footballer in the fact that he tries very hard and runs around a lot, but he doesn't actually play pretty good football or play very good football. And I think if, if, it's, if it's not him, then I, I don't really know who else I would put, put toward that, really. I think, um, I think I would, and this seems harsh and I think it, it probably won't done too well, but I'd probably go Junior Hoyler at this level. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can see your point there. Um, I just think he struggled to to adapt, but still got the the same chances and appreciation that he did as a championship player. Um, That's true. That's very true. Um, I was I was never really sure how that middle bit goes in that champ. Um, only found out late in the season that he's like taking it past defenders. I <laughs> yeah, I, was I to... didn't know what it was. I would just mumble that bit, and then <laughs> yeah, like... every game I've been at, everyone kind of around me would just go, "Oh yeah, oh, super junior hoiler. Oh yeah, oh yeah." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pipes up for the Mendes bit. We'll put that. Our next question is from uh, Tom at CCFC Tom on Twitter. How important will Callum Patterson be next year? And then a follow up question to that from Mark Carter is where the heck does he fit in now? It's it's a really interesting question. Um, I think Patterson kind of, it was was the same at the start of this season. I, I wondered where Patterson would play at the start of this season because he wasn't going back to defence. But then we'd signed a bunch of midfielders and wingers, so he wasn't going to play there. Um, so was he going to play as a striker? And obviously that, that, that's kind of what happened. And I think his, his debut against Burnley, he, he won the most headed aerial duels of any player since 2004 in a game. It was something like the, the early 30s he won in terms of headers, which was astonishing, really. And I remember thinking during that game that he'd struggled in the first 20 minutes. Um, I would play him almost behind... As, as, a, as an attacking midfielder, I think him and Bobby Reid might alternate in that attacking midfielder slot where Camarasa kind of was this year. It's kind of like a, a false number nine or a false number 10 or a, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think, I think he's going to be very important because there's no more flexible footballer really than Callum Patterson, is there? No, absolutely. And the goals that he got from when he played in midfield in the championship were were outstanding. Camarasa obviously came up with a few beauties, but that consistent arriving from midfield, we didn't really have this year. No. And I think, and I'm not, I I'm hope this doesn't come across as too grandiose, but he's a bit like Aaron Ramsey in that sense, that Aaron Ramsey is very good at coming from the midfield, running late and getting on the ball. And Patterson seems to have a similar knack. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's as, as good footballer as Aaron Ramsey, but he's got a similar kind of attacking knack to just to be able to, when the cross is coming in, he arrives late, gets on the ball somehow and, and gets a shot off. And I think in the championship, when, when games are kind of getting stretched, that's going to be very important. Yeah, absolutely. And the next question from Tony Moore is, do you think the fans will stay? We've sold a lot of season tickets, but will we, will we realistically be able to bring 25,000 plus next year? I'm going to say not consistently. But I think, we, I think we're going to meet that middle ground, right? So last time we were in the championship, we were kind of averaging sort of 16,000, 17,000. Yeah. Now we've gone down. We're going to lose fans. Of course we are. Like every club goes through the same thing when they get relegated. I think we'll probably uh, lose like 10% of fans. Yeah. I think we might lose 10%. But I reckon we'll be looking at an average of twenty to 21,000 people next season. Because I think we, you know, last time we were in the championship, and I think this is the difference, right? Last time we were in the Neil Warnock came in halfway through the season before and that summer no one no one really gave us a hope of doing anything. I think we talked about the playoffs being a, a, an aim that the players we signed, yeah we signed Lee Tomlin but people, signing people like Mendes Lang at that time 
probably wasn't a particularly exciting signing because he'd come from Rochdale, I think it was. Um, he was a bit from Walsall. Etheridge from Walsall. They were both unknowns. Patterson came from Hearts and he was exciting, but again, a bit of an unknown. But now this season, we go down and the attitude is Warnock wants his ninth promotion. We're going to back you with money. We're going to keep players like Bobby Reid. We're going to keep players like Josh Murphy. The whole feeling around the club is slightly different, which means it's, 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 it's a better marketed it's easily, you know, it's easily more marketable. Um, and I know that football clubs shouldn't really be marketed, but that's, you know, to the, to the floating to the floating fan who might only want to go to five or six games a season, that's going to be the important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's not really a precedent because you can't really look at the last time we were relegated and say, we lost X amount of fans, that's the impact of getting relegated because the club were in such an awful state then and there was such... Yeah tension between fans, owners, everything like that. So there's no precedent. But yeah, I think 10%, and, but still a steady, you know, good good base of fans for, for next season. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's what the players, you know, the players deserve to be supported, really. And I think, I, I just hope the fact, you know, I'm, I'm as a, as a London-based fan, I think I'm going to still go to as many home games and away games as I can. Um, I think this year I've done 14 away games. I'm hoping to do sort of the same amount next year. So I'm not, I'm not changing my, my kind of, my commitment. Yeah, absolutely. And the next question is from Steve Reese, who says, it's a strange season as even though we've been relegated, we've talked about this, it feels like we've moved forward and United is a club more than ever. So what's the minimum achievement to make next season a success? Oh, I think... It does depend on the nature of investment this summer. I think it's, you know, the, the lacking of midfielders at the moment is a bit of a worry and it depends on who we bring in and how we go about that. But I think the way the club's talking and the way Warnock's talking, we have to get to the playoffs, really. Yeah. Uh, that's a minimum aim, isn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I think that's achievable. Like, so we're not going to lose many of the squad apart from, obviously, the few few low knees in midfield yeah. and Gunnison going. So, I think it's a strong squad with the right additions. Playoffs, definitely a minimum for me. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we've got to be aiming for that top six. And the next question, a bit tongue-in-cheek, I think, from Nicola. Um, but how, is there any way we can get Aaron Gunnison to stay? <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe move, convincing that um, Cardiff City has changed the name to Al Arabi and he has to stay. Um, yeah. I, I know he's on holiday at the moment with uh, Pilks, Pelt, Mon- Morrison, so maybe we get pilped back, get the band back together and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I don't know really. I, you know, I love I love Aaron Gunnison, but I think he I think he's done his time with us really, hasn't he? He's been here since 2011. He's given us the best years of his career really, where he's been at his peak for Iceland, captain of Iceland, going to the World Cup with them, and I think he could have moved on two or three times over really. And I think credit to him. I think he I think he was right to do what he did last season and say, look. I want to play in the Premier League, but if we if we're in the Championship again, I'm going to leave. So I'm going to hold on my my decision to my uh, on my future until the summer. I think he was within within his rights to do that, and I actually fully respect him for for, for keeping to his promise. So, um, I, you know, unless we unless we can come up with some some cunning ruse now, I think uh, that ship has sailed. Unfortunately, yeah, but I think you're right. I think he, it's the right time for him to leave, but also it was the right decision to to stay another year because he was such a key player this year, and I think. You know, a few probably underappreciate him, but, you know, so many games that he's a leader, the battle and fight and, yeah. you know, he's been great this year, I think. Yeah, and I think he has been playing um, injured a lot of the time. I think there's so many games where he's gone down injured or broken down late on. I think he's he's persevered and I think fair play to him and, and I think we can only applaud him and, and wish him luck in his, in his new in his new. Um, 
at his new club. Yeah. And the next question is from Blue Flyby on Twitter. Uh, he says, I can't help but agreeing with Blakey, and that's, of course, from the unnamed rival Cardiff City <laughs> podcast, uh, who, uh, that we are delaying the inevitable by keeping Warnock. A very short-sighted decision, in my view, and further evidence of the lack of long-term plan and philosophy. Discuss. I mean, I think that's a whole other podcast. Just, just answering Yeah, that, that I just think... I think we actually did a whole podcast about what, what the future holds for Warnock, didn't we? We did, yeah. Go back and find that. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the problem is we're not going to solve the long-term problems about not having a football man on the board or whatever else it is at the club by getting rid of Warnock now. Because that will set us back to the point where we need to find A, a new manager, and B, a long-term plan for whatever comes next in the next stage of footballing evolution at Cardiff City. And I think... Going back into the championship, name another manager who is currently without a job who you would trust to take us back up. And I think that's a really hard thing to think about. It's like, what other manager exists out there? You know, people will point to Allardyce, but Allardyce comes with a lot of money. And he, I think he got West Ham out of the championship by spending a lot of money and, and, and taking him up that way. And I think he took him up through the playoffs. So he, he's no silver bullet. And I think keeping Warnock for his year contract is just the most sensible thing to do. And then spend the next year, because if he says, I'm only going to stay for a year, then I leave next summer. Then we have a full year working with Warnock to put in that succession plan and understand what does come next. Because by doing that now and rushing it over this summer could, could set us backwards But when, when the season starts. Exactly. And we, we talked about the club being in the best state it's been in a long time. But you've looked at so many, you know, clubs that have come down from the Premier League and, and gone down again to League One, you know, look at Sunderland and, and clubs like that. And there's a real danger, I think, of, of the wheels coming off without Warnock stability, even exactly. though the club's in a great position. Exactly. And I think, say, say, say Warnock had gone, right, I'm done now. I, I want Carter to move on and move away from me. We have to then commence a manager search. Then we have to get that manager in and hope that the, the transfers that he may want to bring in are available at that point because that could take weeks, months, you know, however, however long it is. And I just think delaying the inevitable is um, it's a bit of a misleading phrase, really, because, yes, it's inevitable that Warnock's going to leave. But until he does leave, we can then work on a plan for that succession when he does leave. And I think just getting rid of him now and starting again now would just be the worst thing we could do. Yeah, and I think you made a good point about needing to get a football person on the board and a new manager at the same time is, is yeah. just crazy. And the sensible thing to do is Warnock for another year and get Warnock to help get in a football person on the board yeah. who, will, who will have, you know, look at the likes of, of Brentford and Norwich and the people that they've got in their boards that are heading up kind of the, the player recruitment that yeah. have these philosophies. And like I said, we talked about this in, in the pod probably about a month ago. You've got to then get a manager that's going to suit that that philosophy. Exactly, and I think, and and one of the things that I think we don't really consider is Malky wasn't really trusted by Tan. Oleg and the Solskjaer clearly was, but then ruined that trust quite quickly. Neil Warnock has got Mehmet Dalman and he's got Vincent Tan on his side. They trust him, and they they obviously like what he talks about. So I think that's important when consulting for that next role because I think if 
if we didn't have Warnock there to kind of say to Tan and Dalman and consult with them and say, look, this is what you want to do next. This is what you might want to think about next. They'll listen to Warnock. And the next person who comes in, if, if he comes recommended as much by Warnock, if they consult with him and say, do you think this manager will be a good man for us? If Warnock says yes, that manager is more likely to be backed, trusted, and then have a bit more time to implement what he wants to implement when the inevitable does happen. But I think that's something that is a bit short-sighted about why don't we just get rid of Warnock now? We're just delaying the inevitable because if, if we just got rid of Warnock now, the next manager comes in and Warnock hasn't had any say in the process, then they could last a month, two months if, if things go sour. Yeah, I, I agree. And moving on to the, to the next question, we talked about this earlier in the pod, but from David Carter, will Bobby Reid do a better job in the championship playing in the Camarasa role this year? Will he get 10 goals? If he does, top two looks a real possibility. Yeah, and um, can I just say that's uh, Sir David Carter to you. Um, <laughs> he's um, one, of my fr- uh, one of my best friend's dads. Um, he's a really good guy. Um, so the question was, will Warnock, will Reef flourish in that, that role that Camarasa did? Um, yes. I think he will. I think, you know, it's, it's a league that's a bit more frenetic and a bit more um, ragged in that sense. And I think he did exactly that for Bristol and got sort of 20 to 25 goals. And I think we can, we can afford to be a bit more attacking in the championship. And I think we will be um, with the team that we've got now. And um, I think he will flourish. I think... And what was the second part of the question? Is it, will promotion come if he gets 10 goals? Or Yeah, I... 10 goals makes top two look a real possibility. I think so. And I think when you look at the, the squad we've got at the moment, and if we've got people like Zahor, he got, what, 10 goals the season we went up. We've got Hoylett, who got 10 goals the season we went up. We've got Patterson, who got 10 goals the season we went up. Morrison got sort of four or five goals. If you add people like Bobby Reed, let's say 10 to 15 goals is a real possibility for him. Yeah. Murphy could get five to ten goals. You've got uh, Mendes Lang, who looks like he could get five to ten goals. You've got someone like um, I miss. I feel like I've missed someone there. Kadeem Harris, if he stays, has got sort of five to ten goals in him as well. I just think we're adding goals where we didn't have goals the season we went up, and I think that's the really important thing here is that the squad itself is is looking more attacking, and then looks like those goals can come from more than one place, which which is um, really important. Yeah, and a couple more questions now looking at the recruitment. And there's two similar questions here. So from Josh Watson, we've got, who would you like to see brought in or loaned in in the summer? And then Kyle Morris asks, uh, in midfield, who would you go after? I think Will Vokes would be a good buy. Yeah, I think I think Will Vokes is a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't he? I think he's, he's, he's on a free. I think he's um, uh, proved himself at championship level and at, at kind of international level. Um, I think he'd be... Uh, a really good person to bring in. Um, in terms of other signings, people always mention Ethan Ampadu, but I'm I'm still not convinced that he might be the right person to bring in. Um, if we're looking for a, another attacking midfielder, um, I, I don't know if, if Josh Windass is still on the cards. He was heavily linked last summer and he's he's a bit out of favour at Wigan. Um, I really don't know. I, I I always struggle to predict what the, the what what Warnock's going to do in terms of recruitment. Um, I think Joe Riles is going to be starter next year in, in midfield, so we just need to find some players to complement him. Um, I think we need uh, another defensive midfielder, whether that is someone like Ampadu, and I think we need someone who's a bit who's a bit more attacking, really, in, to kind of back up Reed if he's going to play in that role. Yeah, and there's a couple of good options on a, a free. Obviously, Ledley's talked about wanting to come home on a free. Craig Bryson's available on a free, and, and Nick yeah. Powell as well as that kind of Bobby Reed alternative. So Powell's the name I was forgetting, actually. 
Yeah, so I think Warnock will probably go. To, you know, even though the talking a lot about giving giving him fifteen million and to sanction six signings, I think he'll probably be be happy going a few loans and a few frees as well. Um, so our final question, Ben, and this is another one from uh, I get it right, Sir David Carter. Um, <laughs> although you might you might get rid of the Sir once you hear the question: Is Andy Carroll worth a punt? Um, my, if he if he demands the wages that he was on at West Ham, no. If we can get him on the cheap, absolutely. I right. think a fully fit Andy Carroll destroys yeah. the championship. I, I saw his. Um, I saw weirdly. I was at his when he signed for West Ham on loan that first season. I was at his debut against Fulham when they won three nil. Um, I, I, my friends at West Ham season ticket hold me just had a spare ticket, so I just went along. And I've never seen a more dominant kind of striker in the air. He seemed to have this in, incredible ability to get about three feet above the defender, hang there, and win the head to pass it on. And I think. He has struggled with injury, which is obviously something that's affected the way he plays. And he was quite an expensive striker. But if if he could prove his fitness over the summer and say, look, I'll do it for you on a kind of, not a pay-as-you-play, but a low-wage, high bonus at the end of the season for promotion and a certain number of goals, absolutely he's worth a punt. I think he's an England international who went for big money. And I, as much as he, he kind of failed to live up with that, you don't go for that sort of money and go to those sort of clubs without having something about you. And I think... If we could just get the best out of him, then why not? Well, there we go. Ben, thanks for joining us. Any last thoughts on the season to wrap up the season review? It's just been fun, hasn't it? Yeah, really um, fun. I've been, I've, you know, all, all the all the all the, the the obvious stuff apart. I've been to some amazing away games. I've I've been obviously involved in this. I've been I've met people from the London Bluebirds group who we've gone to away games with. It's just been a really fun season. I think. Cardiff fans have been, you know, we've we've gone away to to so many games and we've been we've sung the whole way through. We we when it, when things were chips were really down, we we rallied behind the club. And I think it's just been to, to our to to our fans eternal credit. They've been brilliant this season. You know, to, to some of what Neil Warnock always seems to say in his press conferences, the the lads have been great. The players are a great bunch of players clearly want to play for the club and want to play for each other and it's just been a really heartening season I just I'm, I'm sad it's over I'm I'm you know sad we got relegated but I'm more sad that the season's just finished absolutely couldn't have put it better myself and uh, bring on the championship I say I bring it on yeah. I mean Wigan away Leeds away now that was funny wasn't it yes yeah it was, yeah. Uh, well Ben thank you very much and uh, we'll speak to you soon yeah take it easy